What does an 18-year veteran of the tech industry and a 20-year veteran of the military have in common? More than you might think. Welcome everyone to the, the Second, Second Act podcast, podcast, leveling up your life's journey. So here we are again, uh, and we're in we're in double digits now, John, with with the episode count. Who knew? Yeah, we are number ten. Number ten on our way to the triple digits. It's going to take some time, but we will get there. <laughs> that will be a, a significant milestone. Absolutely, ninety more episodes to go. <laughs> it seems like a long way away, but then. Getting to our first episode seemed like it was far away, and and then there it was right in front of us. Yeah, and now here we are at ten, and we'll get to boom. We'll get to a hundred if we keep it up weekly. You know, that's that's it's quite a ways out there. You're talking like a couple years out, but uh, let's go for it. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like a prenup. Like we're we're settling settling the relationship right now. Hey, we've got to get to we've got to get to 100 episodes before we uh, break up. Once so, you say it, I you like can't it. take it back. It's like it's out there now. I know it's out there. <laughs> yeah. So um, before I get into what we talked on the last episode, I want to share some really exciting news with the audience. Um, on December yeah. 14th, we're holding a fundraiser for Higher Heroes USA. Um, here in yeah. Colorado, uh, at a really amazing location called My Neighbor Felix. Uh, we're going to be in the tower. It's beautiful, overlooks the mountains. And we're super excited uh, to bring folks together for a really awesome cause. Uh, Hire Heroes is a leading nonprofit organization that helps connect military veteran community with potential employers. So we're super excited to help raise as much money as possible. Um, whether you can be there or not, there's going to be different ways to do that. Uh, and it should be an amazing event, um, on the four, on the evening of December 14th. Yeah, Michael, I'm really excited about this event because I did some work with higher heroes USA when I first got out of the Marine Corps and extraordinary organization, really well run. And, and my buddy is actually the CEO, um, Andrew Sando. So he's a former Marine helicopter pilot, flew with me um, on a couple deployments and just really great dude. He, he's got some um, great ties to some big organizations, but um, super smart. And he is running that uh, organization really well. And I'm excited to have him out here to see him and uh, also support what Higher Heroes is doing for our military um, military veterans. So, man, excited about that. Yeah. And we're, we're very appreciative that he's going to carve out some time to be there in person. Uh, it means a lot yeah. uh, to us and into the, to the military veteran community. So, yeah. um, all right. With that said, uh, our last episode, we had the chance to talk sort of a little bit more in depth about you. I, I got to interview you a little bit, John, uh, and help yeah, them. Put me in the hot I seat. did, and it's my turn today, so we'll see how that goes. Usually, <laughs> I have a couple notes prepared for myself uh, on the topics we we hear from the audience that they want to hear more about. But today, I it's completely ad hoc, off the cuff, and 
I had I had the chance to interview you and, and help the audience get a deeper understanding of who you are, what events in, yep. in your life have impacted you, um, how those events helped form the foundation and principles of, of how you operate today. Uh, yep. And so in yep. this episode, those roles are reversed. And like we said just a second ago, I'm on the hot seat and I get to answer questions about myself. And I'm, <laughs> I'm always uncomfortable talking about myself. I, for some reason, I just don't like to do it. Uh, but you have to get over it here. Yeah. Face your fears, just <laughs> lean into it. So here we go. Yeah. Well, Michael, I, you know, I really appreciate, uh, one, the, what the relationship that we've formed through this podcast. And I really appreciate the candor and all I've taken away from our, our conversations, both on air and off air, extremely valuable to me. And one thing about you, you are a wealth of knowledge. Um, and information in an area that I don't fully understand, but I want to give everyone else the opportunity to know you in a little bit deeper way um, because I'm seeing all you have to offer. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, uh, John. And um, yeah, let's, let's go. Okay. So I'm going to throw you a softball, this first one. So just tell us, tell the audience about your childhood, where you grew up and how that experience has kind of shaped who you are to this, to this day, to the, to the people that are listening to you right now, how has that experience um, changed or influenced who you are? Yeah. So I grew up in Miami, Florida, uh, very middle-class family, um, uh, academics, education was, was very important from the beginning. Um, my biological parents got divorced when I was very young. I have no recollection of it, but my mom married, remarried shortly thereafter to who is now my dad. Um, and, uh, it was, he was a, he owned a hair salon. My mom was a teacher, uh, Great life growing up, um, but growing up in Miami, you're surrounded by a tremendous amount of wealth, like extreme wealth. Uh, yeah. And, sure. you know, I, when I had the ability to get a license and drive a car, I, drew a, I, I drove a Honda Civic, a used Honda Civic, and I knew kids, their first car was a brand new Range Rover or somebody who... Wow. Uh, drove their dad's Ferrari to school once in a while. So it, it was, it was quite a, the extreme, uh, in terms of what you saw and, and participated with down there. Uh, with that said, um, knowing some of these folks, being friends with some of these folks, it, we were all still good people at the end of the day. Uh, and, and the wealth, you know, at the time you, you really, you didn't appreciate it necessarily for what it was. You knew kind of like, oh, that's cool. Uh, or that person's got a, like a badass house. But you just, as a kid, you don't understand it as much uh, until you get older as an adult and look back and you're like, damn, that, that was some crazy wealth that you saw. And I, I certainly, yeah. I think part of that, um, 
sort of planted a seed in me in, in wanting to grow and become successful and, you know, provide a nice living for my family. And, and that in turn caused me to work hard and, and do the best that I could in, in school and, and then also in a professional setting. Uh, so that's how sort of growing up in that environment, getting exposed to lots of cultures, lots of wealth, um, in, in being a kid in Miami in the eighties and then a teenager in the nineties, it was quite the experience. Uh, you know, I, I bet I remember being in high school and the whole East coast, West coast, hip hop, Tupac versus Biggie, uh, was a big thing. And, uh, then the sort of emergence of, uh, EDM music, um, playing at all the nightclubs on South beach and in it, you grow up very quickly, uh, down in, in yeah. Miami, Florida. Um, but, uh, I've heard many people say this and I'll echo it. I wouldn't change anything about my past. It's sort of made me who I am today. Man, it's, it's interesting hearing your childhood, um, and the, the growth pattern that you followed. It's very similar to, to mine. And, um, in some humorous ways, you know, I was Oklahoma middle-class from a divorced house. Uh, my, my grandfather and my uncle actually were both barbers. So, you know, with your dad in a hair salon, it's interesting, the stories and the relationships that you, um, get to learn from, from just sitting around, listening to people get their hair fixed or whatever. Um, do you, did you have some childhood memories of just sitting in the, in the salon and, and listening to people talk? Uh, I didn't spend as, uh, as much time in the salon as, as maybe you did, John, but I, I just heard sort of secondhand from my dad, some of the stories that, uh, he had in talking with his customers. Uh, and again, it was, it was crazy stuff. There's a CEO who would start this, uh, pharmaceutical company and he would show up to the salon in his Bentley. Uh, my dad would tell me stories about this guy. Um, there are people in the financial services industry. Uh, there were people who were, um, involved in the nightclub scene, uh, and the restaurant scene downtown yeah. who, I bet. uh, you know, interesting characters. Uh, I won't go into any yeah. more detail than that, but, uh, it, it just, you really saw everything and heard everything down there. Um, and I think that's helped make me sort of the well-rounded mindset, uh, and really open and accepting yeah. of a lot of things that, um, uh, you get growing up in a, in a city of that size that, that is multicultural. Sure. All right. I'm going to play some, play some rapid fire, uh, eighties Miami trivia. Uh-oh. Let's see what your thoughts are. Um, you know, cause I think of eight, <laughs> all right, let's just start Miami vice like it. That was, I think I was too young to appreciate it. I certainly know what it is oh. and I know, I know the attire. Uh, and nowadays people have Miami vice parties, you know, Don Johnson, uh, was yeah. the guy back then, uh, his, his 
Art Deco suit. I don't know if that's the right term. And is you know driving around on cigarette boats. Um, which yeah. are these, if you're not familiar with boats, oh, those are like the super yeah. fast, high speed. <laughs> that was my next, yeah, that was my next topic. It was cigarette boats. What, what do you thought? Oh what man. Thoughts? Okay. Next yeah, one. I love them. I love them. <laughs> um, favorite Ferrari. Ooh. Uh, so, uh, I, I've had the privilege to be a passenger in a Ferrari and I was in a Ferrari 550 Marinello. And oh, wow. I remember sitting in this car and uh, the driver said, all right, we're going to go. And I've never felt <laughs> um, going from zero to whatever speed we went to in something like that. It, it's, it's like a rocket ship on wheels. It was just an yeah. incredible experience uh that uh, i can recall to this day so i i would have way to, to uh, put the 550 marinello there okay yeah way to not incriminate yourself no. by just saying whatever whatever speed we went to <laughs> yeah i will <laughs> you <know>. say my my <laughs> yeah. go ahead my favorite ferrari was was growing up was the testarossa yeah. um i don't know if you're familiar with that but uh you know going back to the 80s early or i guess late 80s uh that was my favorite um, now the 550 Marinello, in, John, know, it, I just, sorry to interrupt you. They, they're one of the few, maybe the only, uh, Ferrari that's got a front engine as opposed to a rear engine, uh, which okay. made it rather okay. unique for the, you know, the life of, of the Ferrari yeah. line of vehicles. Sorry, you were going to say something. Even though I'm from Oklahoma, that, that era and that time and that place is was so iconicized in, in my, in my mind and in, in kind of the stuff I was watching, I was my, I was watching some Miami vice. Um, but you know, even, you know, bad boys, you think of the Will Smith yeah. movie, you know, kind of capturing what the underbelly of Miami looks like. And, and that's, so that's what I, that's what I go to when I'm hearing your story. Scarface. We've <laughs> Scarface. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't want to, I don't want to go off too yeah, much yeah, off topic, yeah. but, um, okay. So you, you already alluded to it, you know, that, that how you grew up shaped kind of who you are today. My next question would be, did you recognize any of the aspirations at a young age that you have maybe today? And, and how did those early thoughts form your intentions moving forward. You know, you re you talked about middle class uh -huh. coming from a divorced house. You know, how did those things play into what you do now? Yeah, I would I would say that um the family circumstance of of a divorced household I didn't really feel the impact of that or have any recollection of that in terms of influencing um, what I do or how I think, because I think the, the window of when my mom got divorced and then remarried my dad to my, to my dad, uh, it was just, it was small enough that it, it just wasn't significant enough for me. But I, sure. I, I, I would say the, the one thing from that, uh, that I, I think has played an important role is, uh, 
for anybody who knows me really, really well, knows that I'm an exceptionally loyal person. Um, and, uh, you know, marriage is a, is a commitment to, to your partner. It's a contract. It's, you know, every day is not sunshine and rainbows. You know, there's good days and yeah. bad days, especially the more time that's involved. And the, the honeymoon period lasts and then you get into, you know, marriage and, and, you know, there's about compromise and communication and, um, uh, just working with each other uh, and then you introduce kids and that adds a whole nother layer of complexity. And now you're, you're not necessarily thinking about yourself or, or even your spouse as much. You're thinking about your, your kid or, or children and, and dealing with that dynamic. So it, it just, life continually gets more complicated, uh, probably until the day you die. So I, I would say, um, if, if I had to attribute that event in my life, that that's probably how it's had the most impact. Ever since I was young, I've had a bit of a, a rebellious side to me. Um, I, I always think about it in terms of calculated risks uh, from, from really yeah. early ages. I remember, uh, I think it was a junior varsity or varsity basketball game I was involved in. And, and we've talked about how we're, we're Michael Jordan fans here. And I remember as a kid, <laughs> getting a new pair of Air Jordans, uh, the the white and uh, baby blue ones that came out. I don't remember the year of those, oh, yeah. but on the team you had a uniform, and we all had the same shoes. Uh, and I got these Air Jordans, and I wanted to wear them in the game. So I put them on. I brought I brought the other shoes, the the team shoes, but they were in a bag, and I had my sh my Air Jordans on. And I sat in the back as a coach, like giving us his like rah-rah speech to get going. And I'm like hiding my feet behind the little duffel bag I had so he can't see my shoes. <laughs> and when yeah. he ends his speech, he, he goes downstairs, the team follows and we're getting warmed up. I have my Air Jordans on. And so we're just practicing and he's like, Michael, come over here. So I go over, he's like, you can't wear those shoes. We're supposed to all have, you know, the team shoes. You got to go upstairs and change. And I... You know, most people would probably be like, all right, I'll go change it. I was like, coach, no, I'm going to wear these and I'm going to have the best game that I've ever had. And sure as shit, <laughs> I had the most steals. I had the most points of any game I ever played in basketball. And uh, afterwards, he's like, all right. But I, I can't, I don't recall if he let me wear them for any future games, but I know wow. in that particular game, um, that's some trust right there. There's some trust. He put the trust in me and I, yeah. and I felt I had to deliver and I'm pretty sure we won that game. But, uh, that, that memory stuck in my head when I was teenager, I opened up a, a stock trading account, um, using my dad's information. He opened it, you know, helped me open that for him. My first stock I bought was Walmart. Uh, I used to read like mutual fund magazine and, um, uh, wow. business week and fortune and all these sorts of things to try to figure out what the, what the money managers were doing. And, you know, you, it was hard not to make money in the late nineties in the stock market. But, um, yeah, there's always been that sort of like rebellious calculated risk streak in me. And, and I think because of that, I don't know where it comes from, John, I, I honestly yeah. don't. Um, but a lot of my friends growing up, um, and my dad, you know, they were all 
business owners, entrepreneurs. And, and when you have that mindset, you just sort of figure out how to make things work if you want it to be successful. And sure. I, I think just um, knowing that and, and seeing that is, has had an influence on my thinking um, and is, is probably sort of helps me even, even in working in corporate America uh, for, for other people, for other companies, I've always thought like a business owner. I think it's helpful to yeah. think like a business owner when you're working for a company because you, you just sort of look at the world differently. Uh, you, you know, you want to have a good culture. You want to motivate people. Um, you want to have great products, great service. Uh, you want to think about things from a P&L perspective, from a balance sheet perspective, all those things that you would want to do if you were on your own or if, if you or owner or an executive or CEO of a company and, and you're responsible for, for lines of business in that company. I, let me just go back. I love that story of you wearing those shoes, not because of the rebelliousness, um, but because of the fact that you manifested how you were going to play. You told your coach, I'm going to have the best game of my year or whatever your of the season. And you did. Isn't that interesting how that mindset shift affects the outcome of whatever we're putting ourselves into? You know, how many times we walked into something and thought, oh, I'm probably not going to be able to do this. And it, and it, and it's true, right? Or, or how many times we walk into a, you know, a job interview or a meeting and we think, oh, I'm going to crush, I'm going to dominate this and it's going to be, I'm prepared, I'm ready. And we walk out and it, and it is the way that we planned it to be. You at an early age, were just getting to experience that. That's pretty cool to me. Yeah. It, um, I think Henry Ford said the person who thinks they can, and the person who thinks they can't are both right. That's correct. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, did you have goals, um, early on, you know, think, high school, early college that you set out to accomplish that you're still pursuing today? There's financial goals. Uh, there's sort of life milestones, um, things like that. I, I knew I wanted to get married. I, I knew I wanted to have a family. Yeah. Um, okay. I knew I, I wanted to get to a certain level of, of wealth, um, and which is different for everybody. Um, yeah. I think inherently, you know, you want to, you know, you want to be a, a good person in life. Uh, I, but as far as like a really specific goal, uh, the, the question I've been asking myself lately is, is not where do I want to get to, but how do I want to be remembered? And I don't know if that's sort of like a midlife question you start asking yourself, uh, but you start to th see and think about how you impact other people uh, with with your actions. And absolutely, uh, that's a that's a lot of what frames my thinking today and and what I do. And uh, there's a, a lot of people, especially you know, really wealthy people who 
you know, typically their biggest regret when they get, you know, towards end of life is I wish I had spent more time with my family and the people that are closest to me. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs is famous for saying, I don't want to be the richest man in the, in the cemetery. You can't, can't take it with you. So, um, I think, yeah, that's, that's the way I, I'm sort of thinking about life these days, Sean. All right. So let's, let's go back. Um, post-college, you graduate, you went to Georgia Tech, yep. correct? And um, you graduate and you, do you go immediately into tech? Tell, tell me about that, that pathway because you are, I'll fast forward for the audience now at 18 years out or in tech, um, you're stepping out and you are on your second act and you're figuring out that journey, but take me back to that, those formative years post-college and what you're doing and, and where, where your mind is. Yeah. I, so my undergrad, it's funny, I, I grew up in Miami my first two years of undergrad was at the university of Miami, Florida. And so I had lived 20 years of my life uh, in Miami, Florida, and I was ready for a change. So I, I transferred to University of Colorado Boulder. I'd always loved Colorado. I'd loved the mountains. Uh, I knew some people that were going to school out there. I transferred in my junior year, um, and that's where I finished up my undergrad program uh, and met Molly, uh, my wife, and um, and that's where we decided to you know plant roots is is here in Colorado. Uh, but in 2013, uh, the company I was working for, an opportunity came up. I, I rerouted back to um, the East Coast, went to Atlanta area for a few years. And uh, that job, um, actually, it, it sort of came to an end uh, about a year and a half after being down there. And I joined the startup, uh, the tech startup community. Um, but I also had enrolled in uh, Georgia Tech's um, graduate program to get my MBA in management of technology. So, um, did, got the graduate degree down there, uh, was working in that startup. And then towards the end of that three-year stint, found out Molly was pregnant and we moved back to Colorado to be closer to her family. Okay. Uh, how, how I got into tech was, I think I mentioned on one of the episodes, it was happenstance. I was in financial services right out of school. Um, most people don't know this, but I, at one point I was studying for uh, the CFA program. Um, so I had passed level one of the CFA, was moving on to level two. It's a pretty grueling exam, lots of memorization of things, which was never my strength. I remember how hard I had to study just to get past <laughs> level one of, of that exam. Uh, but it built a good foundation. And then the financial crisis hit, um, 2008, 2009. Okay. And it, uh, at the time, Sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but uh, at the time, um, I was in tech doing financial services things, and I decided to double down on the tech side and sort of leave the the portfolio management, the financial management behind. Um, I felt like I had sort of gotten enough from that and uh, and and pursued tech. But anyway, just to rewind a second, I, I got out of. Uh, got out of school, financial services, sales job, was home, 
picked up the phone as a recruiter looking for my wife. I, I spoke to the individual. They said, oh, I have something for you. I know you're in financial services. Uh, there's this tech company that has, uh, they called it a, a BPO account manager role is kind of like customer success. Um, BPO stands for business process outsourcing. I was working with these insurance companies that had big fixed income portfolios. Uh, and we were doing the investment accounting and reporting for them. Uh, so it was my job, um, to understand the software and ensure that all the reporting was accurate and on time um, for delivery to them and then help resolve any particular issues with the customers. And, okay. uh, and then in that, that entry-level role, then sort of worked in a number of different roles uh, and my responsibilities started to expand in that organization. That was how I got started into tech and then... Um, you know, studying for the CFA and all that sort of stuff happened in, in the subsequent couple, two, three years. And then the financial crisis happened. Uh, and then I sort of totally left um, financial management behind and stuck with tech, which in hindsight was probably the right decision. You know, tech has been very good to me over the years. Um, and I've had some amazing yeah. experiences, met some amazing people. Uh, and I would say that the companies that have had uh, the biggest impacts for me have been the ones with really strong missions. Um, the startup I left that company for, they were focused on real-time service. The The CEO and founder said nobody should ever have to wait for service. It's pretty bold. It's a pretty bold statement. Yeah. If you think about calling or texting or, or messaging anybody, you know, you're typically waiting for some kind of response. So that was bold. And then uh, the company I, I just left, um, Checker, uh, their mission is create a fairer future for all. Actually, I think there's a newer derivation of that, but that's sort of the foundation of it, uh, which I, I find um, really awesome uh, for people who, regardless of what their past are, should have an opportunity to um, find a livable wage for them and their, their family, their, uh, their friend, wh whatever their circumstances are. Um, because we know through the data that education and employment are the most important factors uh, to avoid recidivism, which is basically a fancy word for saying going back to your old ways, uh, things that, that you might not want to do otherwise. Yeah. Wow. Um, break it down for me for somebody that's not in tech or in the startup business. It, it sounds very cool. It sounds <laughs> sexy and, and edgy and, oh, we're, we're, you know, working off ping pong tables and, you know, sleeping in, in offices to get this thing done. And then we have our breakthrough moment and everybody's, um, a gazillionaire, uh, because of all this hard work we put into it. But Share, share with me and share with the audience that may not be familiar with the tech world, some of the positives yeah, and maybe some of the negatives, um, that you would, that you would share with somebody that's getting into, um, into that space, startup space, tech space. Um, and they're like, man, Michael, this guy, he's done it. He's, he's lived it. What would you share with them? I would say if you're, if you're just trying to break into this space, Accept any job that's available. 
because what I, I've learned in tech is once you're in the company, there's a lot of opportunity typically to move around and, and try new things. Um, you know, get in there, do the job you have well. And then when, as you're creating value in the company um, and in the role that you have, it's recognized and, and you get to explore different things and you'll have mentors and leaders that help sort of shape and, and lead you in the direction that you want to go. Uh, techs, certainly, um, you know, you see the pictures and you read the stories of, of all the success story, uh, you know, the, the major successes out there. Um, but yeah. for every sort of one triumphant success, there's probably nine disasters. Uh, and it, it's very temperamental, um, the industry, you know, when with the emergence of AI and large language models, you know, all of a sudden it seemed like overnight, if, if you didn't have plans to leverage that sort of technology and capability into your strategy, um, it, it became a lot harder to impress investors, to impress, uh, wall street, to, uh, you know, just really stay ahead of the curve. And yes, there's the ping pong tables, there's the <laughs> the snack bar, there's the, the, the lunches and all of that sort of stuff, um, which is, which is nice. You know, people take advantage of it. Not so much after the pandemic, uh, because you get to the hybrid or full yeah. remote environment, which I, um, you know, I, I, I like the idea of hybrid full remote, especially if you're new, that's gotta be really hard. I, I couldn't imagine, um, being net new to the industry and, not go into an office and and build that connection with your colleagues and uh, and have those experiences. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know the water cooler talk, the snack snack bar talk. There's a lot of uh, fun stuff that happens, and that's how you build friends inside of the organization. Um, yeah, so it, it uh, I've worked at companies as large as um, thirteen thousand people, uh, geographically dispersed around the globe to as small as 45 people. Uh, and it's yeah. each experience has been amazing in its own way. And the business problems are almost the same, uh, just at different scales. Man, which one's harder? The 45 uh, person business or the, the, the multi-thousand people business? Um, I would say the small 45 company 45 person company is harder. Uh, every hire is high visibility, high impact. Um, there's, there's it's more personal, huh? Yeah. If you're not performing, if you're not doing your job, everybody knows, like everyone's counting on you. <laughs> everybody knows. And the, yeah. when you're at a company that small, the things that you do, you can feel the impact of them. I mean, they have real impact on the business, on the, on the top line, on the revenue, on customer retention and protecting your revenue, um, on ensuring that you have a high quality product that's available and creating a great user experience. You know, those things are, uh, are critically important as you're trying to unhook the competitor um, or uh, get into a company who maybe have, has a homegrown system. It, it's just, it becomes critical to winning that business and, or retaining that business. So yeah, I would say it's, that's harder. 
So now talk to us about the industry you're in, you're thriving, you have a successful entries and exits out of some startups. You're making a name for yourself and you're, you're for all intents and purposes, you're thriving in this industry. And then one day you decide, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to bail. I'm going to do something different. Talk to me about that decision to, to adjust course. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then let's get into what this second act is. So, so what, what prompted you to change, change your direction? With every company uh, that I, I've worked at, you you give it all you got in those roles um, for however long you've been there. And you know, 18 years across four different companies, four years at the last company, uh, I, I have to admit, I was starting to feel a little burnt out. Um, I, I knew I could do my job, but, um, but it was, I had to dig deeper for some motivation, um, more so than, than, uh, I would like or that I would expect to have to do, uh, not just to motivate myself, but to motivate my team. And it just, it became an inflection point for me to recognize the situation and, um, and then just part ways on good terms with the company. And, I can't say that I'll never go. I, I don't like to make sort of absolute statements and say I'll never go back to tech. But yeah. I, um, after I left the company, I posted on LinkedIn uh, sort of a big thank you about and, and an appreciation for the experience I had there um, and made a commitment sort of publicly that I was going to focus on, you know, myself, mental, physical health, uh, being more present with my family. Um, and then just having some fun, uh, in whatever I was going to use that time to do. And, and that became this thing that you and I started, John, which, uh, each week I, f I feel like we're creating, uh, a new dimension to our business, uh, adding sort of these building blocks for it to become something, uh, in two, three, four years out. Uh, yeah. And one of the things I really enjoyed in tech and my role in product is the customer discovery process where you get to understand um, a, a customer or potential customer's business problems um, in, a, in a very sort of unique, insightful way. And for us, uh, this is like the ultimate customer discovery because we're learning, we're genuinely <laughs> curious about people's stories. Yeah. Not, not, not their success stories. Hopefully they've persevered and been successful, but, but the things that made them who they are and, and why they've, they've had these the pivotal moments in their life. Yeah. Well, I know that you and I have talked about the cycle, right. Of getting out and what that feels like. You've, you've kind of heard me talk about it and now I get to kind of see it in, in you being acted out. But is, do you, do you feel like there is that cycle where you've said, okay, I'm going to back, back, back off from, from this thing that I've currently been doing. I'm going to start looking at something new 
having that fun, right? That space, that margin, having some time for your family and your son. And then something starts being created like this second act, Mm -hmm. right? This podcast. (laughs) And then things start ramping up and getting more exciting and getting more exciting. And then, and, and you're filling your day with, with events and planning and prepping. And then there's kind of this point where you hit um, almost peak output, right? And then, then there's, there's on the backside, there's this, oh my gosh, I, I got to slow down because I'm in this period of having fun. And where are you at in that cycle right now? What, what's going on in your world? Yeah, I, I would say on the curve, I'm still on the upswing, you know, trying to okay. trying to make things happen and the excitement is still there. The fun is still there because the, the direction that this can go is sort of many different ways. It keeps it really interesting for me. Um, it's a, it's yeah. a very competitive space. Um, so trying to figure out how to carve out a niche in this space, uh, and talk about things that people are interested in. Um, we get to do amazing things like the fundraiser event, uh, which I, I, I've always had a, a passion for, um, the military veteran community, uh, especially having two members of my family in the military, the air force and the Navy. Um, so it, it, I think that it just, what we're doing is an enabler to a lot of other things. And if you can make a living doing that, it's, it's a, it's a really special combination. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I've getting, I've received so much pleasure out of these conversations and then talking to people who have listened to them and hearing their story about what they're going through and how they correlate or how they are able to pull away from some information that we've shared, um, just to shorten that gap for their, um, time to, you know, to success. Um, I I think last, I, I had some more questions, but you know, we talked about getting out and starting something new and pursuit of goals and ambitions, but I worked, um, on something with you. I've done it individually. You've done it individually, but we have both written obituaries and we have both thought really about how we want to be be remembered going back to earlier part of this conversation. Let's talk about now in this second act, how that exercise has really change perspective, changed what you want to see, maybe short-term goals, six months, year, but then how it really frames your actions from here on out. Yeah, it was a, an exercise I had never done uh, and a rather strange one for me personally, uh, in my experience writing that uh, from yeah. the perspective of other people, um, and how they remembered me. And it kind of goes back to how, how do you want to be remembered? And, and that influences your actions, how you treat people, um, how you want to be a real role model for your, uh, your family and friends and others who, who look at you and up to you. Uh, so I, I think doing that 
is a, is a very important exercise in hindsight, doing that with you to think about those things. Um, because at some point somebody is going to write an obituary about you. So, you know, it does create some, some context for life and how you're living your life. So, uh, I, I don't know if that answers your question, John, but it, it certainly has helped me, um, both in my actions and then also how I'm defining success. You know, you, as you go through life, you start to define success differently over time. Um, and, you know, at a young age, uh, especially nowadays, um, the Instagram and TikTok world, you know, success is, you know, is a, you might have one perception of that, uh, but as you get older, you know, it, it will probably change. And I know it has changed for me over time and, and just having some ownership of, of time and, and being present with family and friends and, and colleagues and, and just making sure, you know, the bills are paid, um, and living a, a good life an enjoyable life. Those are, those are, uh, those are the ways I'm, I'm looking at success. It's not a be a gazillionaire, a billionaire, whatever. That's great. You know, if it happens, it happens. But if I, if I die, not yeah. having become you know, a multimillionaire billionaire, it's okay. Yeah. It, it's interesting, you know, as we've had this conversation, I've noticed a lot of fluidity, right. In your life and the way things have changed and adapted and molded, um, based on your circumstances, both you, the current circumstances that you're in and the, the lifestyle that you want to achieve on the backside, but how that changes from going, you know, Miami, Florida, growing up, born and raised with the influences that you had, what those goals look like and how they change when you move out, you move to Atlanta, you have a wife, you have a kid, you're now successful and you you want to now figure out how to be remembered. Those are all significant changes that you are navigating. And I would say very, navigating very well. Um, and, and that's one thing I want to remind the listeners is just how you have to remain fluid and how you have to kind of keep things in perspective too. success. You know, we, we always talk about on the show how success isn't found usually in the, in the day to day it's found over a long amount of time. And I would say that you're kind of the epitome of, of that success over a long period of time. And, and man, I just really appreciate how you have lived out intentionally in each of those phases and how now you're doing it in front of an audience. So, um, kudos, uh, for doing that. Yeah. Thanks, John. I, I never thought I'd be disclosing all of this to an audience, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I think this is the kind of stuff people appreciate hearing, uh, they want to know, you know, we're real people on the other side of these microphones. Yeah. They want to hear the real stories, yeah. uh, both the good and the bad. And I've, I used to be pretty guarded. Uh, about myself. I, I think I started out in this episode talking about, I don't really like to talk about myself and uh, I've yeah. the, uh, becoming more vulnerable um, and opening up to folks is, 
I think it's good for mental health. I think it's it's good for connection. Um, and I think it's good to, when you put it out there and people hear it, if you do have some goals, there's someone out there that's going to try to help you get to that goal. Yep. 100%. Well, Michael, I, I really appreciate you answering some of these questions, digging into your history a little bit more. I had fun, you know, asking you some of these, you know, really understanding your childhood and understanding how those influences shaped where you are today. I thank you for being in the hot seat. Um, I know I learned a ton and I think the listeners are walking away with some nuggets um, that they're going to be able to work into their second act, regardless of where they are, where they're coming from or where they want to go. So I just appreciate you for opening up the way you did. Yeah. Uh, thank you for the questions, John. I, you <laughs> exposed me more than, uh, than anybody has in a, in a very public way here. Um, but I'm happy, <laughs> what it's all I'm about. happy to share. And, and my hope is that someone takes something away or it helps somebody in some way. And, you know, knowing either yours or my story, they can relate to. Um, so, yeah, well, it was good. And I know that moving forward, I'm, I'm excited. We've got some more interviews coming up. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be able to hear those individuals. I think some of your connections, uh, to those people, their story of transition of difficulty, and then ultimately triumph. Um, so that will be exciting. Um, additionally, we're, we're, as you've alluded to already, we're announcing our next second act event. Uh, that'll be a fundraiser for higher heroes. Uh, again, we talked about it earlier, the nonprofit that helps military veterans transition into their next phase of life after faithful service to this great nation. So people can join us at, uh, my neighbor Felix in Centennial, Colorado on December 14th for a fun evening. I think we're going to do some silent auctions and have some testimonials from others in their second act. So stay tuned. We'll put some information up on our website and out via LinkedIn and some other social uh, media outlets. So man, Michael, great episode. Thank you so much. And you got any parting words? No, I, thanks again, John, for, for putting me in the hot seat. Yeah. Uh, tickets for the event are available on Eventbrite. Um, and all the net proceeds that we get, uh, will go towards higher heroes. So we're super excited for, to sell out the event yeah. and raise as much money as possible. Awesome. All right. Well, Michael, thank you. And, uh, we'll see you guys again next week. Till next time. Thanks guys. The second act with Michael and John features Michael Newborn and John Ballinger. The podcast is produced by Seltzer Games. For more information on the show, check out michaelandjohn.com. Or if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, give the guys a shout on their socials at the second act with Michael and John on most platforms. Thanks for listening.